Hey everyone, Steven here. Don't be worried. I know you're used to hearing PMC's dulcet tones at the beginning of these Radio Free Mercury episodes. Again, don't worry. He's a little under the weather, so I will be taking over the responsibility of recording a very brief introduction to this episode of Radio Free Mercury, which, if you are unaware, is our patron-exclusive podcast dedicated to covering The Witch from Mercury as it airs on a weekly basis. This week, we're releasing our discussion on episode 10, which we recorded with Maddie. This podcast episode was originally published on December 14th, 2022. If you want access to the final two patron-exclusive Radio Free Mercury episodes, covering respectively episodes 11 and 12 of The Witch for Mercury, please consider subscribing at the $5 or more level over at our Patreon. While waiting for new episodes of The Witch for Mercury to drop, um, it's, it looks like Core 2 is going to premiere in April, fingers crossed. We have started a new patron-exclusive podcast dedicated to tackling Turn A Gundam. We call, we're calling this podcast Moon Race Wireless, and we're covering roughly two episodes of Turn A Gundam a month. The first episode of Moon Race Wireless, recorded with the excellent fees, is on the free feed for you to check out. Thank you for your patronage, thank you for being a loyal listener, and we hope you enjoy. Giant Robot FM, your home of all things mecha, be it giant or otherwise. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. We are nearing the end of Witch from Mercury. This, of course, is our Witch from Mercury patron-exclusive podcast episode. I should really start introducing these things as welcome to Radio Free Mercury, but I will not probably, at least before the end of this first core. I am joined with me, as always, uh, by PMC Trilogy. PMC, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm uh, waiting for only good things to happen after this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. And, but we're not alone. As per usual, we are joined by an extra special guest, Maddie. Maddie, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Maddie, you joined us last for your first Giant Robot, F- for Giant Robot FM appearance on our Dones Island Roundtable. We're, we're thrilled to have you back. I'm glad to be back, too. That was a lot of fun, you know, inaugural podcasting, and I'm, you know, looking forward to doing more. So, hey, I'm back. Did you, How was your first podcast experience, period? Because I've been doing this for way too fucking long, so I don't have any objective sense of time or reality. Um, It was a lot less intimidating than I thought it was going to be. I was excited to do it, but of course, like, new thing, going to be intimidating just by its very nature. But I was able to let loose... And, you know, I'm excited to do this again. This is, of course, a very different structure. This is more, I guess, of a standard podcast structure. So, again, more new things. Just excited to try new things and to, you know, let loose again. Yeah, I'm always wondering, like, what people think when I creep into their DMs. Like, hey, join us on this podcasting experience. Like, are they like, ah, oh, fine, I'll do it. Or, yay, a new experience. No, I was excited. I was straight excited. I was like, oh, cool. Like, I get to try something new. I have an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, we have... Um, PMC, I'm going to throw this to Maddie, but really this question is addressed to you because I think I speak for all of us. In light of the recent announcements at the Video Game Awards, this is the first podcast we're recording since that Thursday, but that we are all feasting. We got Armored Core 6, baby, and Death Stranding 2. Uh, before I throw the baton to PMC, 
because I know he is. He's going to have many podcasting experiences to wax rhapsodic about Armored Core 6. Maddie, I know you're a big Kojima fan, so I know you have thoughts on Death Stranding 2, but also, as Twitter tells me, you are an Armored Core fan, so tell us about that. I'm a more casual Armored Core fan. I played it a lot in, like, late high school and early college with, like, friends in the form of just, you know, fucking around, to be Mm. honest. That's how I made friends in college. I saw some guy with some handmade Armored Core pin, and I was like, hey, you like that? (laughs) (laughs) And then we, we were just like this, linked together ever since. That's ultimately not what we ended up, like, seriously bonding over. It was Gundam, because of course it was. Um... But yeah, like, it was definitely the, like, catalyst to me making friends in college and just, you know, messing around when we weren't, like, studying and dying under exams. So, Armored Core, while more of, like, I'm more of a casual fan, it was definitely, like, a big part of, like, my young adult years when I first moved to the U.S., like, eight and a half years ago. Which Armored Cores, may I ask? Um, it was three and four. That's what my friend on hand. Awesome. And I believe he had Verdict Day, but I remember... He was pretty disappointed by those. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> I wish someone in my dorm was playing Armored Core. I just got... Everyone was just watching fucking Code Geass at the time. I... Myself. Yeah. I, in that same friend group, I remember not being a fan of Code Geass, and someone was like, oh my gosh, you're not? And I was like, no. And they made me watch it again, and I'm like, I'm still not. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Same friend group of, like, people circle jerking about the same robot crap over and over and over and over <laughs> again they're all mechanical engineers and half of them work for nasa now so you shouldn't be surprised mechies yeah that <laughs> figures Real. <laughs> that figures i i so i was an electrical engineering student and i think we always were kind of we're kind of regarded the mechies as like cavemen they, they are <laughs> their dorms certainly were very reminiscent like the man cave like put a trademark symbol on a copyright symbol next to it and a, like a registered patent symbol next yeah Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they were my friends and i loved them to death they were all nice and considerate people very nerdy though i remember asking like one of them out and they chickened out so hard it was so funny <laughs> <laughs> i probably swam in similar circles at the time Unfor- yeah. yeah like it like i said no armored core though just i guess the closest uh, what video games were people playing like my freshman year halo 3 was big i remember seeing assassin's creed playing a lot of crt same with call of duty 4 and then final fantasy 12 13 came out 2008. Those are all big heavy hitters in dorms. At least in dorms I frequented, which weren't many. But, Maddie, Wait, before before we jump to PMC, Death Stranding 2. Are you excited? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I saw that trailer, and I was like, hold on. And then I saw the baby, and I was like, wait a second. I was, I was very excited. While I definitely still heavily prefer Metal Gear over Death Stranding, I'm not a hater. I'm not one of those people. I generally liked it, had its flaws, generally liked it, and I'm very excited to see where this goes. In general, hoping to see that, you know, maybe they'll dig into the world a little bit more in comparison to the first one. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a problem I had, but, like, I'm looking forward to, like, more content. Feed me more. Give me more lore. It's already complicated, and I want it even more convoluted, please. <laughs> Well, it's Kojima, so that's a very that's a likelihood, certainly. Oh yeah, I, I shouldn't be disappointed. I, I'm probably going to get exactly what I'm expecting, like in a positive way. I don't mean that negatively. No. I got to check out the director's cut because I actually did not. I love Death Stranding. Only I played it for about an hour twenty five, but I was fed up with the story. So I'm not fed up, but I was disinterested in the story going forward. So I just kept mm. building roads, and I never finished. <laughs> oh no. 
Yeah, I played with a couple friends before, like, when, before my work really got the best of me at the time. But, like, yeah, that was mostly how I played it, just more casually also. Yeah, I ended up streaming the first Death Stranding, so that usually keeps me pretty focused, pretty pretty engaged, and uh, I don't know. Also, the habits of a speedrunning, even when I'm not speedrunning something, I'm always driving and pushing towards the conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are a very efficient video game player, mm-hmm. PMC. Mm-hmm. To be a speedrunner, I think you would have to be. Yeah, it has to I be would something hope you're interested that you are. <laughs> now, PMC, you must be uh, beyond excited. I saw you on Twitter. I know, I know you. I was hooting and hollering. I, I shout outs to friend of the podcast, Caitlin Moore, who made like a <laughs> like a, a pod, It was like a tweet of four screenshots of like people on my feed like Armored Core. And like uh, I'm in every single one. <laughs> I was in one of them. I was in one of them. I'm like, there I am. It's me. <laughs> so I'm pretty excited. It's a pretty wild coincidence that you know, I as as I'm taking Armored Core to GDQ for the first time, a new Armored Core gets announced for the first time in ten years. It's like pretty pretty bonkers. It seems That's synergy, baby. Yeah, it just seems exciting. Uh, I think what's really neat about it too, the since that since that announcement during the Game Awards, uh, there was an interview that went up today as a recording uh, that I think Cat uh, Bailey's byline. Shouts to Cat Bailey, come on the podcast, Cat Bailey. Um, Love to have you, Cat. And she did an interview with uh, with Miyazaki and um, uh, Yamamura, who is the who's going to be the director now of, of Armored Core Six, or is the director, I should say. And what are his credentials? Did he direct anything else? At he from? was the lead designer for Sekiro, among okay. other things. So I think I think it is someone who's come up within FromSoft who had wore other hats, including a you know a big hat for Sekiro, and it is now stepping out into this director role. And uh, and all their I mean basically their answers seem to be they really wanted to bring their wealth of uh, you know know how and experience. They've been making these big AAA games for for a few years now. And they want to bring that to bear on the core identity aha, of Armored Core. Mm. You know, whether and that means mission based, you know, customizing mechs, you know, the things that we you know associate with any iteration of the series. So I'm pretty excited by that. I mean, I, I constantly everyone's gonna be asking like, oh, will Souls be in it? Will Souls be in it? I mean, to some extent, I think you know the artists have cut their teeth on Souls. Probably might that bleed in. Yeah, of course, but like I still, I still think they are very focused on like what is Armored Core, which you know makes me excited. I mean, I, I think they always would do that. Like that, they're they. I think they know what they're doing. Yeah, haunting and desolate landscapes. I mean, that has been From's mo since the beginning. Right. That's the other thing too, and a lot of people have pointed this out as well. Is that some of the things that people have come to think of as the Souls identity are just as present in Kingsfield, Armored Core, Echo Knight, so on. Oh, right, exactly. But it's still like it's still really weird to see so many like people complaining that this isn't another Souls game, I guess. And I was like, Y'all have been fed for so long. Can I please have some food now? That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a I'm not a Souls guy myself, so Neither I share the I. sentiments. Here's the thing too, like let's be real here. The in between the lines of the announcement is the fact that Miyazaki was the director at the start, but is now on something else. So, like, chances are y'all probably gonna get fed in 2024 anyway. So, like, yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah, Jurassic A2 PSVR2. <laughs> I mean, sure. I'm, I'm legally obligated to make that joke anytime from is brought up now. <laughs> you paid for all the move controllers in PSVR. I hope you would. I, I ended up selling up my but selling my PSVR like okay. a year ago though. 
All right. Just because it's such a hassle to bring out. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, fuck it. You know, that old chestnut. Mm-hmm. All right. We are not here to talk about the video game awards, though, because there's a lot more we could dive into involving a lot more nefarious aspects, I suppose. But no, Good. we are talking about Witch from Mercury. Um, so, Maddie, last time we had you on, we talked about Gundam, of course. So you have some experience with the franchise. As anyone on Twitter note would, that follows you would know, have you been enjoying Witch from Mercury? And how does it stack up against some of your favorite Gundam shows? Gosh, I have been enjoying it a lot. Now, people who um, who know me, especially from a couple months ago, y'all remember I was really hesitant. I mean, I feel like at this point with AU Gundam shows and gosh, now even UC shows, like stuff just will either start really well or and then go downhill or like just be mid from the beginning and kind of stay there. So I was like really hesitant. It's like, oh... I thought that this one thing that what this one guy worked on wasn't great. I was like really worried, and then somebody was like, "You need to chill out." And I'm like, "All right." <laughs> <laughs> and um, they were right. And even everybody else's hesitations, including my own, have lowered significantly. I am having a rip roaring time, and I look forward to every Sunday now. I was already looking forward to it, but like even more so now. But now the stakes are even higher. So now if they screw it up, like at this point. This is going to be really painful. <laughs> I really don't want them to mess it up. I don't think they're going to, but if they do, it's going to hurt a lot. I think it'll, it'll hold steady and continue I'm, on an I'm upward so. trajectory, at least for the end of Core 1, which I know is only two more episodes. Oh, yeah. There's there's not enough time for them to royally screw up. Knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Sorry. Um, and it's stacking up against my favorite Gundam shows. It's It's up there. It's up there in the good, in the really good category. I would say it's up there in a lot of the UC shows I like. Do you have a Gundam's favorite Gundam. non-UC show? So I'm assuming First Gundam is your favorite Gundam. Oh, absolutely. And it's got to be the TV shows over the movies every time. But for non, non-UC, it's After War Gundam X, hands down. Okay. This is no. up there with it. It, If it remains good, if we have to see it to completion, it may surpass it. Ooh. It just might. And will it also, like, turn A is also kind of sitting up there, too. Because turn A is fantastic. Like, of course. As everybody knows, the turn A is fantastic. Maybe. Maybe it'll surpass those two that are kind of, like, lingering next to each other. I do have more of a sentimentality for X, though, just for some ungodly reason. But, yeah. It's up there with those three. Or those two making three now. So, it's crazy. Whenever anyone on Twitter... Makes a joke about Gundam X. I laugh, but I don't know why I'm laughing because I lack the context, and I also have no idea what the fuck the joke is because the names come across as so inscrutable. People, some people, some mutuals have been tweeting about Gundam X recently. Yeah, I I haven't seen too much on my feed unless I've missed it because I've been working a lot or I worked a lot last week because it was like end of accounting month for me. Mm. But like. I know a lot of people were tweeting about it because it was the last full moon recently, so people, of course, every full moon, Gundam X jokes, and, like, Gundam (laughs) X, like, fan art, like, increases in number, but I think I missed the jokes this time. Are they making, like, dolphin new type jokes this time, or, like, what are people... There's jokes about a character I can't really remember, just because, again, the the character names sound like a joke, because without the proper Gundam context, all Gundam names sound like jokes. Is it Jamil? It might have been. I love him. He's my favorite. <laughs> He's a he he is like if you mixed Bright Noah and Kazuhira Miller and mm. added a 
a sprinkle of extra trauma and you smoosh it together and knead it into a nice dough, it's Jamil. You get him. He's got me in an iron grip and it's really bad. <laughs> I definitely want to check out Gundam X because I love when productions go off the rails. <laughs> I know Every, people I trust. who tells you. We've, we've had like a... Say, sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. I was going to say, we've had like a spat of guests recently who have been... Uh, like singing the praises of Gundam X. Did I did I make that up, PMC? People have been talking about Gundam X in the podcast. No, recently, it keeps right? happening. I would say people keep bringing up me. Gundam X. Yeah. I the last time I was on, I was like watching. I was because they brought that up, and I brought up somebody who didn't like it, and I made we made fun of them. So that was funny. <laughs> Attorney is also on my immediate radar. I just picked up. I have not seen it. I know that's a mecha sin, especially for a podcaster. Uh, we will rectify that soon. Cryptic tease. Um, because you have no idea exactly what we're talking about, listeners. It's not what you are, are going to expect. But anyway, I just ordered both both Blu-rays and the films because they're all on sale. I'm a glutton. All right. Are we all ready to jump into Witch for Mercury, episode 10? Please. Awesome. Yes, I am. Listeners, if I sound a little under weather, I apologize. Hopefully my nasally to- tones will complement your journey through episode 10 suitably. So episode 10, Crunchyroll got this one right. Circling thoughts. Sarius, Shadik's father, meets with representatives of Cathedra. During this inquest, he asks why the Ariel, which uses the gun format and therefore is a Gundam, hasn't been brought up on charges. His request is denied. Unsatisfied with that answer, he asks, Why has Delling given that mobile suit special treatment? Why did he let it duel? Why did he acknowledge their corporation? Why isn't Dominicus doing its job and hunting down the witches? The representatives hold their ground. Their response remains the same. He's asked to leave. This is perfect. I I love this whole sequence so much just because I think it's really sharp. Uh, This is very similar to another sequence that we had where the uh, the Pale House was discussing... Mm. Uh, you know the the revelation, right? That the Fair Act was a Gundam. That they they had a Gundam. Like, well, we have a plan for this. We have a plan for non-compliance. And here we kind of see the other end of it, which is when a government apparatus fails to enforce the law because everyone in the apparatus agrees not to. Uh, there are tons of real-world examples of this. I'm going to throw out antitrust law as an example where. The government lawyers and corporations said, "We're just going to pretend this law doesn't exist anymore because that's what our bosses want." And that's what we got here. And like once again, put putting the finger right on the pulse. Yep, they dug their own grave here. Sorry, I should not be surprised. And part of me doubts he really is that surprised. Right. Yeah. Now I was wondering because I was looking into it, just trying to find information, because I wasn't sure is the is the cathedral the is a separate gun government entity or is it made by the Benerit Group to audit them? Because that's what I found that it was. Almost like a group created by the Benerit group, but I wasn't sure if that was really the case. So it's like, it's not government in the sense of we know it as government, but it's like truly corporatocracy, if we're going to call it that. Or maybe it's something else, and we don't have enough context yet, but corporatocracy is what I'm calling it for now. Yeah, I think the idea that it might be some kind of like like multinational body that like interacts with these and is like sort of pseudo-legal... Uh, if I were to trot out an example, uh, there was one point in this episode where Harrow says that there are Astacassian patent numbers, which is uh, something that made my made me roll my eyes. 
But it's worth talking about because if a school has these things, those probably aren't like those aren't like real real instruments. You know, there's a like there's a body called the the World Intellectual Property Office WIPO, and you can have like a WIPO like patent document, but it's not a real enforceable patent. It's not like getting a patent from the U.S. or China or Japan. It's not like a real thing that you can enforce somewhere. And this is kind of what it feels like here is just that they they went to space and they kept making these organizations that you know have some power. I mean, they have guns, like that's that's power, as I'm sure we're going to discover in the coming weeks, but. Uh, yeah, I think that's just basically, I think you're right. It's just it's just big corporatocracy. Yeah, that was my read on it as well. Dominicus is the military wing, correct? They're the ones actually doing the hunting down of, right? I think so. Yeah. We haven't seen Dominicus since episode the prologue, right? Prologue, yeah. That's where they got yeah. deployed. Yeah. And that dude, what's the dude's name? Remember? Oh, I don't the, remember his name. The, 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 uh, the anime attractive villain pilot the ace pilot yeah he, he just looks oh. promising i always think he looks like the, like the guy from ibo the one that says it's okay to kill children like i just confuse <laughs> those two <laughs> as long as they're guilty children <laughs> i i want to forget ibo so hard <laughs> we get we we get real swings in the podcast like swings of interest and opinion regarding ibo one episode we love it other episode hate it pmcc and i have not Oh man, I remember watching it as it aired and I was so disappointed. I was having fun the first half of the first season and I wanted to, like, I was so happy and then I was like, I've had enough. I want to hit my head into some drywall, man. God. <laughs> it's got some low points, but it's got some stuff I like too, so, you know. Oh yeah. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen, but I was definitely, like, disappointed. Mm-hmm. I was let down. That's that That let down carried over into my old hesitations, which... I've lowered for now, but you know, <laughs> you know, just in case they're in reserve. <laughs> On his return flight, Sarius seethes in quiet rage. Vim Jaturk, who happened to accompany him on this trip, and who is in a much better mood, tries to raise his fellow CEO's spirits. He tells him that Delling is going to die. It's worthwhile to remember that Cathedral was not created in a vacuum which Maddie alluded to earlier. The Mobile Suit Development Council, which was made up of bigwigs from the most powerful companies within Benaret, we saw this in the prologue, they wanted to check the growing threat of Gundams. So that's why they created Cathedra. It's an inquisitorial force to do away with Gundams. But now Sarius is recognizing the writing on the wall, that Cathedra has become, the most predictable thing happened, Cathedra has become Delling's personal army. He refers to them as his lapdogs. And I doubt that Vim and Sarius will be able to take down Delling by themselves. So I really do wonder what uneasy alliances they'll forge, and this makes for such juicy storytelling. Like, what unlikely bedfellows will they find themselves working for? Now, by the end of this episode, it seems they might not be cognizant of it, but it seems like they might be working alongside or at parallel purposes with some Earthians. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I know we're going to discuss it later, so I'm going to hold my thoughts till we get to that point. But there is so much I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my th- goodness. I was just going to say, something I want to put a pin in, and I'm sure, I'm curious if it'll come up in the future, is to what extent has the um, like the, the usage of this military power changed in nature since that deployment in the prologue? Like it's, yeah. just, it's just something I'm curious about, because in the prologue, I think we all expected them to show up and be around and to be a you know a threat that we want to take vengeance upon. But they really haven't been present. 
So the question is, like, are they going to show up and what will be their nature? Yeah, I wonder how active they've been in the intervening however many years have taken place since then. Because I also wonder if, like, the public knows about them. Because it seems like there was a public proclamation of this, uh, of Cathedra's founding. Um, do people just know what Cathedra's up to? Does, is Cathedra on Action News every night? Or the Ad Stella equivalent of Action News? Uh, we don't know. And I also don't know how interested this show is will be in telling us that. But I, the, the viewer, am very interested in shit like this. Yeah, it makes me wonder also, like, I just, I was thinking, like, like, I was wondering, like, how have they been present? Because now they seem really hesitant to enforce. And that's always made me wonder, maybe they've been completely, at least, borderline dormant for now? Or maybe they truly believe that they got rid of everything after a certain period of time in between, you know, the prologue and now? Um, Who knows when the prologue took place, but, you know... Maybe we'll discuss that. Maybe we won't. Um, because now that's up in the air with, you know, who Soletta could be, among other things. Um, I personally believe that I bet they were mostly dormant, aside from maybe oppressing some Earthians, probably. But, you know, I bet they were probably just sitting around, and probably that's why they're so hesitant, because they genuinely believed they got rid of everything. That's not of use to them. Maybe they're more aware of what happens later than we think. Maybe it's like a real quick job. Maybe it's just a sinecure working for Cathedra, uh, which would be a, a telling comment, commentary of institutional complacency in and of itself, oh, yeah. um, which would be interesting to see. Maybe they just did that one hit on the Vanitas Institute and just have been riding that funding for 15 plus years. I believe it. Oh, gosh. I've worked on way too many government projects in my uh, old <laughs> career to know how that works. <laughs> Suleta Hum's Gunned Arm Inc.'s promotional jingle as she works in the greenhouse. Shadik stops by and expresses his hope that Suleta, and by extension the Ariel, will begin dueling again. Quote, challenges have piled up during its two-month absence. End quote. Turns out, Mirin has been away on a two-week business trip. Suleta has been tending to the greenhouse for her. I want to jump in real quick, just to make like a note. This show continues to play very fast and loose with time. Uh, Based on this dialogue, there has now been a two-month gap since the end of the duel from the previous episode. So it's like just important to file that away. Similarly, the previous episode had a flashback that was very subtle. There was no on-screen, you know, this took place in such and such a year besides, you know, the, the ghoul's dueling record appearing on screen during the last episode. Just want to stress that. This show is very fast and loose with time. It's beginning to feel intentional. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if it's purposeful. I'm usually not a fan of this in, if it's not intentional. If it's intentional, of course, we'll see where it goes. Well, that's just going to have to be a big we'll wait and see. I've also, as you both said, noticed that. And I'm just, I am not judging. I am waiting. We'll see where it goes. This could be where they fumble the bag. But maybe they won't. I don't think they're going to. But maybe they won't. Maybe they will. I don't know. It would be very unfortunate if there were some dramatic reveal and then it becomes fumbled because there are cues about what the date is and like half the audience gets it and half the audience doesn't. That's not going to be fun if that happens. Yeah, and I've noticed that and I, w- I could blame Crunchyroll, but I've noticed the same issues on um, Gundam Info subtitles as well because I have a means of looking at those because I've got a little thing on my computer. Um, they've got the same issues. I think they're pulling them straight from Gundam Info. Mm-hmm. 
they don't translate all like the there is sometimes things that do indicate dates oh. rarely but mostly that indicates location which mm. i think is a major problem that's important like, why, why aren't they why aren't they like translating the location tab like i can read enough to get by but most people can't so yeah the, I, I uh, the sense of place and us. time in the show is seems to be a little thin I don't know if that's intentional or just a byproduct of the production, or maybe Witch from Mercury as a creative enterprise isn't interested in that. I'm curious. Yeah, I do wonder. Hmm. I think this opening scene is, and we've talked about this before, but it's going to come up at the end of the episode, so I want to bring it up now. The framing here is so obviously significant. Suleta, by this point in the show, has earned Meereen's trust. Not only her trust, her affection, her loyalty, in other words, her love. She's been granted access to Miorene's most personal space, like her, her sanctum sanctorum, to put this in Superman terms, her, her greenhouse. And I think that's a really big responsibility. Shadik, though, even though it seems that he and Miorene were once close, has never been granted that privilege, or if he had been granted that privilege, he's lost that privilege. He's literally on the outside looking in, and so he converses with Suleta from the lawn, and the show is very aware of this imagery, of this framing, of this space being mirroring and Suleta's. I think it also uh, says. Oh, jump go in, ahead. Maddie. I was just about to say. First of all, revolutionary girl lieutenant in space again. Mm. It's so blatant at this point. The homage with the the greenhouse versus the rose garden. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> I'm curious, too, because I think it says something about Shadik that he doesn't try to breach that barrier, even when Miareen isn't there. Not to say that Shadik isn't, is redeemed or something, or now beyond sub- suspicion, because clearly he's working to his own ends here. He still wants to take control of the company. But I think to his credit, or maybe speaking to something more complex within his personality, he doesn't try to exert his power or test Suleta's limits, or even indulge in idle curiosity. Like, this is a chance. Like, if the two of them were former lovers, if they dated, this is a time to maybe sneak in, rifle for, through her papers, see what she's written about him, etc., etc. If, if Miorene keeps a journal, which I doubt she does, um, what has Miorene written about him in the journal? He has no interest in that. Um, this might be a power move. Maybe he doesn't want to throw Suleta off to his intentions. Um, but still, it was an interesting uh, note I had. Their conversation is interrupted by Choo Choo, who calls Suleta to tell her about the gun prosthetic leg test happening now. She rushes back to Gundarm HQ, a.k.a. House Earth's dormitory. Suleta links up with a pair of artificial legs and passes the physical test with flying colors. I think this might be my greatest area of concern going forward. I've mentioned this before, but I'm gonna, it bears mentioning again. I really hope Witcher Mercury doesn't use transhumanism as a convenient plot point, only to throw it away later. Like, vilify Gundams all you want, but don't vilify people using technological advances to better their lives. I don't think the show is going to do that explicitly. Like, I don't think we're going to see any Darth Vader othering, like, uh, you're more machine now than man. But I could imagine the show dropping these issues once they're no longer deemed relevant for the plot. Kind of like the Toy Story meme with Andy dropping Woody. Um, like, I'm done with you now. I think that would be really unfortunate. Um, I would like to take them to take a bigger swing. I know I'm worried about how empathetic that swing could be. But still, I would like to 
for them to dive a little bit more complexly into these issues because it's not just a you can't really just make a blanket statement on technology the the um, the commentary and the possibilities for future uses of technology are more complex than that yeah I, I was talking about it with another friend because we both watched it and we both of course had to converse about like, what we're doing here about this about this very thing and we we're like all right before this episode and in this episode too as the show becomes more and more focused in terms of you know its world building with the politics that it brings up and with the plot it's also bringing new ideas and my main point of concern is very similar are they going to have so many ideas now or enough where it becomes less focused again the same concern of are they going to fumble the bag I really don't want them to fumble the bag. I really want them to explore transhumanism and, you know, maybe possibly, like, disability self-advocacy in a way, you know, that that's good and constructive. Or even if they try to explore it at all, I almost kind of wish, if I had to pick between them exploring it and then it ends up being awful, or them, you know, just dropping it all together... Admittedly, as a disabled person, I would certainly prefer them dropping it all together in this one instance. I, I think that they'll probably focus it in. I just hope they don't introduce too much other, like, general big subjects to the point of where it becomes completely unfocused. I hope that this is just another big one that they could add, rather than one of many things that they're going to add possibly in the second cur. Totally. They, they they are juggling a lot of ideas here, which worries me because I would, when I am advising my students on how to improve their writing, this isn't creative writing, but this is more applicable to academic writing, I tell them to narrow the focus of their thesis. Um, I, I teach high school, so many times a student presents uh, like a five par your standard five paragraph essay to me with a three prong thesis statement, and I say choose one of those prongs, focus on it a little bit more closely. And here we have many prongs that. Uh, Gundam Witch for Mercury is focusing on. And you could dedicate a whole show to the idea of transhumanism. That's rife subject for a mecha show. Pat Labor 2 does this in more philosophical terms, but I might want to see a show tackle it on more concrete and physical terms. I'm not sure if I would trust a Gundam AU TV show to do that, but I'm open to the possibility of a, sh a show like this tackling those issues. But I agree with you, Maddie. It, it might be, this is like the persona situation. It might be better if they just don't address it at all. Yeah, if they if they fumble it too hard, and if they fumble it like almost to the point of where it's ableist, I would probably tell myself, "Gosh, I just wish you brought it up." And we're like, "That's nice." Anyway, <laughs> this is what I say about like any Atlas game in the last eight years. Like, just don't bring it up. Focus on what you can do well. Real, I, I agree. And them and how some Atlas games handle um trans people. That's wonderful. <laughs> exactly, and unfortunately. I think I think I'm maybe like I don't know I'm like a pretty pessimistic person. Stephen rightly accuses me of, of being a doomer on a regular basis, and he's not wrong. I think my concern here is that I feel like so much of the transhumanism subject is wrapped up in the juicy plot surprise of whatever Prospera has done to create the aerial, and obviously we've covered all the speculation around that before. But it's my concern is that you know the very worthy subject of how can we use technology to improve lives, especially the lives of disabled people is going to be kind of pushed to the side because, well, we're not going to do it if we have to, I don't know, cook children to, to get it like or something like that. You know, I, I think that's kind of like, because even here too, um, like I, I'm a big guy for technological interfaces. I always find interfaces very interesting. 
And one of the things I was like, I actually like went back and looked at the frames. And I was also doing this for a joke post, but I also looked at the frames of this leg <laughs> test for like, how exactly is Suleta connecting with, with the robot in the prologue? There's a very pointed sequence where Prospera pulls her arm off and like Jackson to, to the Gundam and uh, you know, and, and, Suleta ain't, ain't doesn't do that. Like she, she doesn't have to do that with with Ariel. And likewise, she's not doing that here. And it's actually kind of surprising to me. Mirene later in the episode addresses Suleta as their only tester, and I'm like, well, why is that? Like you know, maybe with the Ariel there's something special. But even for these prosthetic legs, technology is supposed to be for anyone, right? So like, what is the thing on uh, on Suleta's body that lets her do this? I, it was kind of funny to me they didn't address that. Maybe they will in the future. At this point, we're running out of time, so maybe that's a core two issue. Uh, but it's definitely on my mind the, the the how the technological mystery fits into this causes me to be pessimistic, is what I would say. Right, and how is she not seemingly suffering anyway? She could be not suffering at all, and that's honestly my belief, but maybe it's something else entirely, and we have no earthly idea. But then again, Elon Four said, you're not like me. Which, in, in my head, implies that she's not suffering like he is. Yeah. So, I believe she's not suffering. So, uh, maybe my friend's silly tweet about 26 kindergartners being smushed into the bits is right. That was funny. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's the question, though, right? It's like, um, you know, like, she doesn't glow, right? Like Elon does, or like the other Gundam pilots did in the prologue. So, hopefully that means, yeah, she, that she isn't suffering. But is that because, you know, like... Full Metal Alchemist style, the alchemy was done and you already sacrificed humans so that you don't have to suffer. Mm. Or pieces of themselves and such, because, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's an element of sensationalism with uh, Gundam, which for Mercury's writing, which isn't a bad thing. This is very typical of Okuchi's writing, at least from the works I've experienced, that makes me worry the subject material won't be tackled well. That's why I brought up these concerns, because part of me thinks it's going to be used as a convenient plot point. Which... Handled at its least offensive would just be used for spectacle, I suppose, which is offensive nonetheless. Anyway, I'm trailing off here. What I'm saying is I have these worries. I, I, I'm, I'm tracking this going forward. I have hopes for the future. Or hopes that another show will tackle it because I feel like this, again, is rife subject matter for a mecha show that hasn't been approached delicately or substantially enough. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about it later down the line, but I've got more disability stuff to bring up with this episode as well, but we can continue. After the successful test, Suleta, Chuchu, Olejo, and Nika huddle together and enthusiastically plan next steps, which includes a PR video. Nika asks Suleta if she got permission for the shooting location. Adorably said, excuse me, I'm, I'm Gary segging into the meme in my mind. Adorably, Suleta says, Suleta, forget her. We, I'll stop my summer right there. Do we want to throw out any great memes we've seen regarding Suleta Forget Up? Is a lot of home run memes. Shout outs to Russell. Oh gosh, that was funny. <laughs> Suleta Forget About It. Um, I I've had the I posted it to no fanfare, but I posted it at like nine in the morning. So my own fault there. I've had the idea of Miarini Linguini in my head for a Ooh, bit. Ooh, that so. is good. I, I do like all the other languages trying to have a go at it. Suleta necesita una chuleta. I got wrong. <laughs> a chuleta is a pork chop, by the way. I mm, saw so someone discussing that, and they said that apparently it can also mean like a like a cheat sheet. Is yeah. It? Okay. 
that that's a regional slang thing. Okay. I I don't believe that's a term my mom taught me because I speak pretty fluent Spanish, mm-hmm. but I don't know if it's used in Colombia because I certainly that's not the term I use now. But yeah. hey, we've got all regional slang. I can say like I kitchen and nobody knows what I'm talking about unless you're Colombian or Venezuelan. Mm-hmm. It just means cool. Mm-hmm. But like regional slang like that comes up all the time. Yeah, speaking of regional slang for PMC and I, this is uh, Sopranos territory. And <laughs> after Russell tweeted, I couldn't help think of the late, great James Gandolfini saying, I'm not going to butcher uh, any approximation of an Italian-American accent, joke, jokey or otherwise, but, you know, Suleta, forget about it. It's been, um, it's been living in my mind rent-free since he tweeted it out. He's so good for that one. He is so smart. <laughs> I definitely experienced a moan of regret because I really thought about tweeting out Suleta Beretta and someone did beat me to it. I think it was Lost Thief who tweeted out Suleta Beretta, which is probably where the series goes. If Suleta shoots someone with a handgun, I'll be mighty surprised, but also like what the context for that could possibly be, I would I would want to know. <laughs> the meme game is real. You gotta you gotta get those memes yeah. out quickly. That Bob the Bill I I'm I'm proud to say I planted the flag on the Bob the Builder meme quickly <laughs> and I saw a few I'm imitators. So proud of you. I'm not shouting out anyone, but there are some mutuals who, uh, and probably didn't realize I tweeted it, but nevertheless, I saw some bobs floating around later that day, early this morning. It was you. I, I, I know it was you. You were the founder. You laid the bricks. The foundation. And then the race, the rest of your masons got to work on that. <laughs> yeah. now the three burst out laughing after the joke. Afterwards, when she thinks she's alone, Suleta checks off, tell a joke and make everyone laugh on her list on her phone. I love this beat so much. Suleta, I think I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but she reminds me a lot of Abed from Community. There's an episode towards the end of season one called The Art of Discourse, where Troy and Abed spend the episode checking things off Abed's quintessential college experience list. And now I'm a big fan of Communities, and many critics of that show, including Dan Harmon himself, the showrunner, consider Abed to be autistic. Dan Harmon actually speaks about this in a lot of interviews, that he'd... um, I don't know if discovered his autism, but like became aware of it through writing Abed on the show. Abed, the character, doesn't acclimate to environments easily. He frames social interactions through esoteric pop cultural lenses, and he structures his day with idiosyncratic routines. And in many respects, uh, maybe not the pop cultural lens bit, but Suleta shares a lot of these qualities. And in both cases, because I'm a fan of both shows and both characters, it's really nice to see when these individuals fit in more comfortably with their peers. As a teacher, I see this with some of my students, and it always warms my heart when a student who um, kind of has existed on the margins is brought into a social group. That's always very comforting and heartwarming to see. I feel that as is in my bio. I'm very autistic, and Sula. Every episode of G Witch, I get punched in the face at least once. With can you can you not like attack me like this, Sula? I've been preaching since at least episode two, and I'm like, there's no way this girl's not autistic. There's no way, intentional or not. I bet it'll never be canonized because these things almost never are. But like in my head, she is, and everyone else who's a naysayer, I'm just ignoring them for now. I'm ignoring. I'm ignoring. But yeah, she is so autistic. It's not funny. It's it's so funny. It's hilarious. It's not hilarious at the same time because it's like very much to my exact same experience, like down to the wire. And that's I'll bring up more on that later once we get to more uh, topical parts. Got you a know, lot more in my head. It's been speculated a lot, Stephen. I feel like your your doubt about whether or not the interactions are framed through a pop culture lens. I I almost feel like they they must be because I think a, a big implication here is that. Suleta learned a lot about, like, framed her expectations of what to see in school through 
media that mm, she would have true. consumed by herself while you know while existing on Mercury as you know being a child without a school. So I definitely think you know these things like the accessories and the joke and et cetera go on a date. Like I, I think there is heavily implied media that she consumed that that framed these. That's a good point. Abed is such an extreme character, like dropping really esoteric pop cultural references, and Suleta doesn't do that. That's why I just wanted to add that qualifier. But I think that's a great point, PMC. I would love to know more about... Uh, <laughs> I, I say this about every fucking show I, I watch, but I would love to know more about these intricate world-building bits, about like what TV shows are popular on Mercury versus which TV shows are popular on um, Earth, for example. Another thing that, oh, sorry, another thing that somebody brought up was, um, because we don't know, but something that you could imply um, that made me think, you know, there's not a lot of kids on Mercury, like, was implied early on. So, like, maybe it's, like, the homeschooled kid entering a public school setting much later down the line kind of dynamic. She, she reads as very homeschooled, most yeah. certainly. So homeschooled. Nika, looking over Suleta's shoulder asks her what's next on her list. Suleta shows her a pair of keychains and says that she's always wanted to share matching accessories with a close friend. Nika recommends she give one to Mirian. I'll have more to say about this later, but this is so adorable. It is so gay. I'm, I'm just saying it right now. It is so gay. <laughs> there is no way. Like, you don't just blush and think, oh, I just got keychains for somebody. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, okay, come on. <laughs> all right all right pack it up <laughs> and we talked about consistency a lot on this show about the writing of which for mercury i think that plot point to its credit has been it could be a little bit more overt but that's been very consistent going forward oh absolutely and again with its a its homages to what everybody on that crew has worked on and mm -hmm. just it being loud by itself like there is there is no way to deny that there isn't at least you know, subtext lingering underneath all of this, if not, you know, context, you know, not undertones. And at some points, it's very overtony, I think, like this. Yeah, I agree. Meanwhile, Meereen meets with her father to discuss the health and viability of her nascent company. He intently reviews Gundarm's finances and growth projections and gives his daughter what seems like practical and honest advice. I, I wonder what Delling's objective is here. Like, does he want Gundarm to be successful, so successful that he could exploit it? Does he want to strengthen his family's position? Is this a legacy thing? Or does he have a soft spot for his daughter? Or all of the above? You know, just because you're evil doesn't preclude you from being a supportive family member. History is full of powerful families closing ranks to protect their own interests. I was wondering, my one question was, did he have any shares in Gundarm at all? So, I mean, if there is any form of, like, investment that he has, even if he doesn't give a rat's ass about his daughter, he's got money in there. He is, I was like, it sounds like he's, based on the advice of somebody who uh, works with stockbrokers sometimes, it sounds like he is very invested in his own investment. To me. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the you know major plot point of episode eight, right? Is the he he puts the first uh, coins in the piggy bank and then everyone follows right. suit. Yeah, so the, he's got enough of an investment. So I honestly think it's less of a soft spot, and I think maybe Miorine might be might be getting her hopes up here, but I don't know. I think this is even so. I think this is the most human Delling has felt 
like usually he's an inscrutable, callous monolith. Usually he's Charles Britannia from Code, this first season of Code Geass. I know we get more characterization of Charles in, in R2, but uh, I could draw a clear pal- parallel between the two of them uh, in both the first core of Witcher Mercury and Lelouch of the Rebellion. Like here he's taking, I think he's taking a somewhat interest in his daughter's pursuits because there there seems to be a bit of pride in his voice and the way his face is drawn, there seems to be a bit more emotion in those cheeks, if that makes any sense. It reminds me of when Gendo unexpectedly compliments Shinji in the beginning of Ava and acknowledges Shinji. Um, I, of course, Delen gives off big Gendo vibes. Yeah, I definitely read that too. I, I think I agree with you, but I don't think it's going to last. Oh, hell Maybe no. that's my hesitance here. I just think it's going to be just as like fleeting of a moment. But maybe that also comes from my own personal experiences in that same regard. All right, I'm gonna. Be, I guess I'm just gonna keep being pessimistic. I want to be clear. I like this show. Just because I'm forecasting doom doesn't mean <laughs> I'm not having fun. My fear here is that when it comes to sort of um, surprises and twists, a great way to achieve that is sort of misdirection. I think we're all very much focused on Suleta and Prospera, rightfully so. There's a lot going on there. But I feel like there is just as much going on with Delling that has been pointed at. Uh, the scene with a young Mirin looking over the uh, coffin of her mother really kind of sticks in my brain as being yeah. something that says to me that part of Delling's strong takes involves a tragic backstory of some kind. You know, maybe there was another reason, a personal reason, not that it justifies what he did, but a personal reason that could give him a more uh, you know human human arc in terms of how he's done what he's done. Um, so I'm I, I'm not sure. I, I'm very curious here too. Like because right in the first episode there was a threat of him dying. That's the prelude going into what might be uh, you know the finale sequence of this first core is Vim and you know and uh, uh, Shadik slash Sarius joining forces to kill Delling. I really feel like we're heading for making Delling somewhat more sympathetic, and this scene really amped up my expectations for that. Uh, now, y- y- y'all are right. Like the man's like indisputably still a monster, and I'm really surprised Mirin is so open to the possibility of you know like of getting that support that she is so affected by it. Uh, so we'll see. I, I am I am very much concerned about how sympathetic will Delling be by the end of this core? I I personally think it's because she's naive and she's young. That's also from personal experience. I've most certainly been there. I, I think she's going to get her arm twisted pretty hard, whether in the next couple episodes or further down the line. I think she's going to get her arm twisted pretty hard. That's just my guess. I completely agree. I'm very curious, though, who Delling ends up teaming up with based on the events at the end of this episode. When you have such a comically oppressive and powerful character like Delling, the pair-ups are often unintentionally humorous and unusual and could make for some very exciting storytelling. Yeah, we just have to see. Because I was was guessing, like, who it could be in my head, and I went back and forth between multiple things. I honestly think we could talk all day long. That'll be later. And we'll all probably only know until next episode, so. Yeah, the, the, get the body bags ready. After her strictly business father-daughter time, Miarine prepares to depart with Till, who accompanied Miarine on her trip. The two look at a refurbished spaceship that they hope to procure to return to school. They just need a navigation crew. 
What a what a big red flag. <laughs> oh, our kids are getting a spaceship. Ah, geez. Is this a Gundam show? Are we in a Gundam show? <laughs> I always want to know. I, I talk about this all the time in relation to Star Wars. I always like to know distances between places and how long it takes to get to one from one place to another. Uh, I have all those questions with Witcher Mercury. I have no sense of space or time, like we pointed out at the beginning of the episode, which I don't know how intentional that always is. I think the time bit is, because Okuchi wants to throw us off the set. I'm curious. I'm, I always have this issue with even UC Gundam stuff. I like my worlds lived in, tangible, and I kind of want the same for Witcher Mercury. It's not really a complaint. It's just an issue I have with storytelling and mecha shows. Yeah, like, wasn't there, whether it was shown in the show or at least in, like, other documentation, wasn't there, like, a map of where all the space colonies were in First Gundam and whatnot? Or where they were before they got thrown into the Earth, you know? And so it's just, like, I was kind of hoping, at least for something vague, at least descriptor. I mean, I'd love a diagram. I love me some diagrams. Oh, hell yeah. But, like, (laughs) I also agree. I'm like, where is this? Where is this in relation to Earth, the school? Mercury? Where? I have no earthly idea, and it does kind of throw me off. It like It's like, yeah, we're here in the story, and I feel like I'm floating in like a vague space of what here is instead of like a concrete here. Yeah, I almost feel like that information is being withheld on us, you know, again, to, be, to reveal some larger map later, whether that's a map of space allotted to corporate fronts, whether that's the map of Earth and Earth's current political you know, jurisdictions. You know, it feels like we're, we're in Midgar at the beginning of Final Fantasy VII, and they're just not going to tell us what's out there. True. That's I a good point, PMC. I just want to know more, and I want to know it now. Yeah. I'm spoiled. <laughs> Please, give me more. You know, speaking of enigmas, the woman from the earlier in the series, PMC, she doesn't have a name, does she? In my notes, I just refer to her as the woman. She has a name. I looked it up. Her name is Fung, F-E-N-G, Fung. Is she, does she have a character bio on the uh, the government? Yes. Okay, she does now. They've been I adding was, to that. I wrote yeah. that down. Uh, yeah, they, they have been. I haven't checked. I tried to remember who Sophie and Norea was, but when I watched the episode a second time, while they hadn't updated it at the time, I figured out who it was. But, like, uh, they yeah, are okay. it periodically. The last two, you they just look. added them. You gotta look. Mm. Oh, yo, the other guy. The, okay. Do you want to know the name of the guy? Prospera's guy? Yeah, no, no. Are you well the the guy with with fun? Fung's guy. Oh yeah, yeah. His name is is Gustan Parch. That's a Gundam ass name. That is so good. So I'm talking about. Mm, good. We feasting. All right. So the I might keep referring to the woman just because it's in my notes. Fang, um, the one who partnered with Miarine to help her escape. She shows up, and her offer still stands. She'll shuttle Miarine off to Earth. Miarine doesn't seem interested anymore. She guesses correctly that this woman is part of the Space Assembly League, whatever that is. I'm so excited for Sal. I can't tell you. I just want to talk <laughs> about Sal nonstop. I don't know anything about Sal. Speaking of Enigma. <laughs> uh, to jump back to Miarine for one second. It's very telling how her priorities have changed in light of her company's early successes. Like this bit is in conversation with so much of the rest of the episode, so I'll save my commentary for that. But the consistency of the writing, I think, is something to be applauded. I know I can be hard on Akuchi, but his scripts tend to be very tight to his credit, especially his season one Code Geass scripts as well. Unfortunately, I'm a Code Geass hater through and through, but I'm not hating this, so there's, 
I'm not making a comment about G-Witch that, with this. I'm just a hater. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm, no I'm going to be dumping some Code Geass hate in here later, so we'll get ready for that, listeners. I think I'm, I'm so known ready. as a Code Geass hater, which might be true, but I, I have a soft spot for season one. Like I mentioned, or like I think I mentioned in a previous podcast episode, it doesn't seem that Fang is from Earth. I, so I thought originally that Fang is from Earth, but it doesn't seem like she is anymore. I'm guessing maybe just based on the name. All we know is the Space Assembly League, unless there's more information out online. I'm guessing that they are resi they have to be resisting the Benarek group. As we know that Fang has uh, issues with Delling. Maybe it's kind of like G-Witch's version of White Fang for all my Gundam Wing fans out there. Maybe this is another smaller group within space trying to challenge the hegemony and supremacy of the Benner group. Yeah, because I remember they mentioned something about like, oh yeah, the Gundams were investigating them. And I'm like, there are so many things that that could mean. What do you mean by investigating? Like investigating on acquiring, investigating... Like, in the sense of just, like, an audit? Like, what does this mean? I've got so many questions. And then they just leave you there. After that, what? They weren't even together for a solid minute? And I was like, what's going on? They're definitely going to show up again. There's no way they're not. And if they just drop it, that's going to be a major fumble. Jeez. I doubt it, though. I doubt. They're definitely going to bring it up again. I wonder if the Space Assembly League is going to show up next episode when everyone and their mother is at that one location. I mean, things are... I mean... We're, we're, you know, I think things are going to go poorly on Quetta. <laughs> and, you know, when all the kids need to get off the, sp off the space station where things are going poorly, who but the people piloting the spaceship that happens to be there will be waiting to catch them with welcome arms. I, that's yeah. my easy prediction. Or that this spaceship might be integral to that plot beat. Like maybe everyone's jumping on Mirin's new spaceship. Yeah, and I'm still, like, while I have confidence that they will be allies at least for now the the way that fung looks at Mirine, the moment that she mentions gunham she like cocks her head to the side kind of like squints her eyes like a little bit raises her eyebrows and like grins a little bit i am nervous i'm nervous so it's like yeah i think it's gonna go good for now i think through this theoretical thought plot point but next cur i'm definitely uh i'm definitely a little, a little afraid i'm afraid I'm afraid she's going to turn on her. Just a little. Yeah, she's got real Cans vibes from uh, another Gundam Wing reference. He's the leader of White Fang. He's a real fucker, too. I was trying to remember yeah. his name. I'm glad you glad you said it. Spell, it's not spelled yeah, it's, phonetically. It, it's, yeah, Q-U-I-N-Z-E, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sarius tells Shadik about Vim's intentions. He thinks Vim will fail in his attempts. Shadik, however, suggests to his father that they partner with Vim to secure their family's position in a potential post-Delling world. Meanwhile, the Earthian crew roam the halls of Astacasia looking for a place to film their commercial. This, this, by the way, could have been an episode in and of itself. Much to their chagrin, they're denied access to the roof. Suleta suggests the dueling committee's lounge, which, as Holder, she has access to. Everyone's enthusiastically on board. You know, thank God. I, I have been such a person here for so long asking why they keep letting these kids get on these roofs. And finally, someone has stopped them. Thank you. <laughs> Are you talking about anime in general, about kids getting on the roof? Yes. yes. <laughs> he went on a diatribe on that, I think during our Planet With coverage, which I'm kind of queuing up here because 
Maddie, I know you're a big Planet With fan, and school rooftops are a staple of high school anime, and they feature pretty prominently in Planet With as well. Yeah, I mean, not even, yeah, just in high school anime or, like, anime that may just have a high school in it. They will end up on the roof as some symbolic, or not so symbolic at all, you know, happening. It's... I guess it's just, I've maybe, I've, I've just assumed it's more of like a rebellious thing, or maybe it's more, it's a cultural thing, maybe it's more common to go up there than we think it is, and maybe we're just missing that point. I, despite my long stays in Japan, I have no idea about high school stuff. I was an adult every time I went. Yeah, just as like a physical construct. I mean, it it's perfect for introspection, because you're on a roof, you're looking at the horizon, you're probably going to be more open with your emotions. So if there's like a romantic encounter on a roof, it makes sense. Or if there's a romantic encounter, it makes sense that it would happen on a roof. I imagine it's more common in Japanese high schools because less space and you're in heavily populated areas. So it makes sense that they would take advantage of the roof. Because you see this in cities, um, you know, in American cities too, and in American schools in urban environments. I would love the bottle episode, just them fucking around trying to get on the roof and like uh, <laughs> speaking truth to power or sneaking around power to get on the roof. I'm gonna t- I-, I talked about this before, but I'm fine with them leaving the school environment now. I feel like Ostakasi is such a sterile environment, which yes, is a very compelling commentary because it's not like capitalism doesn't have culture and Ostakasi is like capitalism embodied, like incarnate. So yeah, I, you, I, there's that angle, but there's so much rich storytelling that could take place in a very lived-in school, which Witch for Mercury is not interested in. I'm up or down on that. I would really like more school hijinks. I've mentioned it before. I would really, really like to meet some teachers at Ostacasia. I'd really like to know more about how this bullshit school operates. The show's not really interested in that. Fine. But because it's not interested in that, I really want them to get off Ostacasia now. I'm sure it's going to happen in two episodes when, I don't know, there's body bags in the school and <laughs> the campus. Yeah, wasn't there some interview, Not it wasn't too recently, it was like several weeks ago, where someone's like, this peaceful life on the school is going to end, and that that was ominous. Once again, yeah. I'm scared. <laughs> if anything happens to Celeta, I'm going to destroy everyone in this room and then myself. That feeling. That feeling has remained very strong this whole show, but after that interview, like, little, like, blurb dropped, I'm like, that's it. Yeah, I think the internet would be up in arms if that gate happens. Suleta Sundays will take on a new meaning. Meanwhile, ghouls disappeared. Everyone's best boy's gone. Unbeknownst to his friends and family, he's going, <laughs> he's going under the alias Bob and is working as a laborer repairing and refitting ships. So I made the joke on Twitter. He's literally Bob the Builder. Is, is he on Astacasia? I have no sense of place. I don't know. I think he's he's at um, Plant Keta because that's what's implied because they're about to leave to go somewhere else and then those people show up because oh, Plant see, Keta I, is like a I major. Were they on their way to Plant Keta? Because I think I thought that my understanding of the final scene of this episode was that the Earthian Gundams were going to use uh, Bob's ship to sneak into Keta. You know what? I think you might be right. Maybe I am wrong, but I just also know Plant Keta is another large group that mm-hmm. the Benerate group uses to build stuff. So right. maybe this is something else. But um, I felt like, oh, I think I might be right. Because I remember, this goes back to my uh, complaint that they didn't translate everything. Oh. When they showed the scene of where they were at, it did say, 
Puranto Keta. Like okay. it said that. But they didn't translate it. This is exactly why mm-hmm. I was complaining because this context is lost for people who can't read even like katakana, which that's all that was. There was no complicated mm, kanji right. to parse there. It was Puranto Keta. Plain not plain English. But you know what I'm trying to say. For me it was like, okay, that's what that is. But it wasn't subtitled or anything. So people who can't read, that's lost. We mentioned last episode, I feel like I'm in an AC casino or something. Like I have no sense of time or place. And we're watching this alongside the Big O, which intentionally does this. Like we mentioned several times, I won- I keep wondering if G-Witch is doing this intentionally. I could buy the time stuff, the play stuff. I don't know. It's, it's getting to me a bit. But also, they don't want to reveal their hand because this show is moved forward by its plot twists and revelations. I want a whole show about uh, Bob and his his friends, his blue collar workers. Like I want to see him order lunch with his coworkers. I said the same thing with the origin, volume four, when Shar's Earthside and he's doing that construction job. And I think it's the worst episode of Origin, but I was very interested in like how Shar interacts with his coworkers. Like I want to see him get paid at the end of a work week. If they have a union boss, hopefully it's Choo Choo. I want to see him lodge his complaints with them. I want to see him shit-talking his bosses. I want all of this. I don't miss working in construction, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I really... I, uh, people are wondering, like, what... Uh, what was it Was it you, Stephen? Or so another mutual is wondering what what his uh, fake last name might be. I no. Like someone was wondering that on Twitter. And, like, I really want it to be, like... It's actually Bob, short for Bobson, short for Bobson Dugnut. I, I knew you were going there. <laughs> <laughs> and then all his coworkers are also from, you know, Tecmo Baseball or whatever. Such an American-ass name, Bob. It's going to be some some Gundam name. Like, you know, those, like, weird, like, American names from, like, Japanese-made games about, like, baseball. It's got to be something like that. Like Bob William. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Williams, William. Just William. <laughs> now, this is the midpoint of the episode after the eye catch we get our first glimpse of earth via a montage of establishing shots showcase showcasing decaying architecture as nature reclaims once bustling cities i think that's the most steven asked here a sentence i've read all day uh put this shit right in my veins yes please and thank you i have so many questions about earth and i thought these establishing shots looked fantastic i'm very curious how earth got in this position the answer is the spatians. It's yeah, gotta totally. be. Yeah, it's gotta oh, be. Oh yeah, like, but the the question is ultimately like, why the oppression? That that's the one thing I was like, but why? Like, why would they, you know, bring Earth to such like a, a desolate, you know, to the environment to the point of where it's being be re- being reclaimed by nature? I guess it's like, I get that the spatians see the Earthians as less, but why? There's like all these questions that I have, and I just. I hope the second Kerr answers this. Gosh, I hope so. I have an optimistic take. Hey, oh, wow. It's good that nature is reclaiming uh, <laughs> the earth from humans because that's better than what we got. Fair. Unfortunately true. I am, I'm curious, ideologically speaking, because you would think these hardcore capitalists, yes, they want to eliminate the competition, i.e. earth, but earth's another market to open up and exploit. So you would think that the more people you have to potentially buy your products, the better it would be. And the ar- archi- the infrastructure on Earth is woefully out of date and in disrepair. So you would think that it's more... It doesn't seem like the Spatians have any interest in exploiting it, period. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Like the thing that interests me is, you know, so much was was decrepit. You had so much just laying around in shattered condition, but also, you know, they still had cell service. So like, there's still like, you know, there's there's infrastructure lurking under there. Yeah, uh, this this seems honestly like the most lived in space, despite the fact that it's so decayed. Like I got good vibes, and also it seems like there's a real sense of community, which we'll talk about. Hopefully, we'll have more more to chew on in future episodes. So Shadik personally contacts an Earthian, Earthian named Naji. Shadik wants him to attack Delling Rembrandt. Naji's surprised. Shadik elaborates, quote, In five days, Delling will arrive at Plant Quetta. The patrol fleet defending the base is under the Jaturk company's control. They've agreed to soften security, end quote. Naji accepts the job on one condition, that he provide the flight route and transport. Like, hell yeah, I'm so interested in this shit. Like, I love that we're finally expanding the scope of this world and getting a perspective of Earthian politics. I know this is just like one side of what is, I'm sure is a very complex subject of Earthian politics. I don't want to refer to Earth as a monolith. I have so many questions. What caused all this destruction? Was it the drone war? Again, like Maddie pointed out, probably spatial hegemony. Who's Naji? Is he a part of an Earthian resistance cell? Are they the Adstella equivalent of Avalanche? And is it like is this a reverse stone situation? Is Naji weaponizing these orphans? There was Shadik's cryptic line about Naji being a father figure when he's talking to Nika. Um, like, are they plants? Are they? Is this the Splinter Cell we're, t- we're dealing with here? I have a Metal Gear reference. Nice. If we're calling this a reverse stone, does that make George Sears, aka Solidus Snake, a reverse stone? Yes, you're <laughs> okay. correct. All right. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good pull. Oh gosh, I I, I think I I feel like there's only going to be a few people in my like circles that understand this, and like the Metal Gear circles, because I talk to them about Gundam, and they're like, "What the hell are you talking about?" And I'm like, "Sorry, you guys should just watch the show." But you're right. This sucks. Yeah. Now I'm gonna think about it like this for the rest of my life. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Maddie, do you have a favorite Metal Gear game? I might have asked you this before. Yeah, last time I was on the podcast. It's I assume it's Walker. five, right? It's Peace Walker. Peace oh, Walker. Peace Walker. Yeah, yeah. Much to like everybody I've talked to, they're like, Peace Walker is your favorite game? And I'm like, yeah. I your display name is Kazi Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, have you seen this? Like, I hate, like I said the last time I was here, Kaz hated him at first, and then he grew on me like a tumor. Now <laughs> he's here permanently. Ten years going, baby. I love that for me. <laughs> But yeah, love to, see, just, love to see the intersection of Gundam and Metal Gear uh, communities and fans. No, I also yeah, one want, thing, oh, good. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to move over because I want to talk about the we we have the introduction. Uh, Gundam loves its dads, and I, I mean that somewhat sarcastically. We have the introduction of a new type of dad here, though, right? Because so much of this show has been dedicated so far to uh, corporate dads, to business dads, to Sarius, Vim, Delling. Uh, you know, we also had some union dads, shout out to Choo Choo, but now we have the mercenary dad who, you know, as we've indicated, could potentially be an, uh, an even more nefarious kind of dad because maybe like the corporate dad, they are uh, weaponizing not just their own children or adopted children, but like, I don't know, groups of adopted children. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I agree with reverse or anti Doan even. anti Doan, I like that. Um, I think he's taking advantage of them. And it's, what do, what do they gain from this? Like, I, I imagine they get paid, but they live in this horrible, like, blown-out school. 
they can't be getting paid very much. Or is everything getting funneled into, you know, repairing, you know, at this point? So it just makes me wonder, I'm like, what, why do they, I imagine maybe they've done this before because they seemed rather prepared. They seemed a little bit prepared, so like maybe they've done something similar. Not killing another head honcho, but like, maybe something else. They seemed way, way too ready, despite them not having a ride. They seemed re- way too ready to do this. As we'll talk about at the end of the episode, they also seem hyper-competent as well. They're certainly well-armed. Oh, absolutely. <sighs> yeah, talk about, we'll talk about this, but talk about Cathedra getting really complacent. I mean, <laughs> some Gundams have slipped right under their noses. Right, it's just, or maybe, maybe it's less under their noses than they think. And, and here, um, with this, we can see Shadik's connection to Nika finally. And I, something that I mentioned briefly on Twitter that I was originally going to, like, save for just this episode, but I really felt like I wanted to get it out. Shadik's name is laced in irony. 120%. His name, because the only reason I know this is because I had a coworker with this name. So Shadik, the way it's mm. spelled in the anime is not spelled how it is spelled as, like, a real person's name. Shadik is often spelled S-A-I-D-Q. No H, no double D. Pronounced basically the same. Shadik. And it means honest, true, good friend. Hmm. Mm, I feel like that's intentional. And especially, this is more of a reach on my part. I feel like Shadik is very intentional. Nika may also be a reach because Nika in Persian means honest also. Interesting. Or pure crystal, like referring to water, but you will, you'll honest is like the main one. So I think that there is a... There's something there. I feel like Nika's is more of a reach, but Shadik is very, like, hammering you on the head if you know enough Arabic. I had a coworker at the very first company I ever worked for with that name, and that's the only reason I know that. Hmm. That's a good pull. And patterns like that are usually, could be, can potentially be revealing. Or, as someone who studied literature extensively, completely accidental. But you could still write a paper on it nonetheless. Right. I was just thinking, like, how, like, it, it could be unintentional because there's, in literature, there's so much, like, incidental stuff that just happens, especially when it's, you know, going from Japanese to English to Arabic and back to English. So, who knows? Remember, uh, students out there, your read is completely valid. Author is dead. Even yeah. if I bring the author in front of you and they refute your entire thesis, it's all right. Your thesis is still correct, provided you provide compelling evidence. All right, I'll get off my soapbox now. So, the gang filmed their commercial... Much to Cecilia's annoyance. Love me some Cecilia. I think it's a really good bit here. I, I think she's just pissed because she can't lounge around on the couch with them filming. Shout out to Cecilia. Living her best life. I'm Would it be wild we... if she got a Gundam? Yeah, I'm glad we got to see more of her, even though it's literally just crumbs at this point. But the internet loves her. And the internet loves her, if you want to put it that way. But... <laughs> But that's all we get. It's just her complaining, and then it immediately pans to our cast, and then back to, you know, we go from there. She only, she gets off her throne. She, she, she stands, and then she's gone. She'll go back to sitting, I'm sure. Go back to lounging, uh, miraculous, or no, lounging um, like, a, like a monarch, regally. Yeah. Who's the other guy, the little guy next to her? That's also an R. Uh, they mentioned his name. Yes. He's just a little guy. I want to know more about him. He's just a little guy, a little baby. Maybe he's the Hayato of the show. I hope not for his sake. 
Oh. And he'll be in that body bag. Don't do I love that. some Hayato, don't get me wrong. I love Hayato I- too. That's why I, that's exactly why I said no. <laughs> well, watching Miarine do the interview circuit in her physical absence, House Earth has a heart to heart with Suleta about Miarine. Oleo compares their boss, Suleta's bride, to a thoroughbred horse that will trample over them all. Suleta pushes back. Alejo ominously predicts that she'll grow beyond her, too. I'm glad that the writers decided to move the characters around in such a way as to allow these, like, give Earthians the space to openly vent their frustrations and worries. That was my issue with episode eight, uh, two episodes ago. Because Miarine just barges in, literally vandalizes the building and takes over. And I feel like I never really got the, the Earthians never really got the space to discuss their issues. Their issues come up, but I still wanted them to talk without Miarine's presence in the room. And because this is their personal space, this is their greenhouse. And I was I was worried that the show wouldn't recognize the power imbalance and that they wouldn't have a voice. And they're right to be very suspicious. Miarine hasn't done much to buy their trust. She's done a lot for Suleta. Don't get me wrong. But she hasn't done a lot to buy the Earthian's trust. And there's also like deep-seated, intangible prejudices that separate the two of them. Yeah. So oh, he- absolutely. Go on. Here's where I need to bring up um code geass hating i apologize code geass fans uh a chief criticism i have of the code geass uh especially during r2 it is uh brought up that of course when luch is leading the black knights his aims may not necessarily align with that of the black knights with that of the people who live in a place who are trying to rebel against a a, an imperial power how how do their interests align with you know an imperial noble seeking vengeance and that is a subject that is to the credit of the show brought up explicitly however by the end of the show's runtime the interest and you know the sort of the the merit of the the black knights and their desire for independence is kind of i feel neglected in favor of service of luch's story and you know his sort of triumph and overcoming schneisel and, and all the other machinations of the of the of the uh, britannian crown that's a point that could be argued. I'm sure if someone's a fan of the show, maybe they can try to support as, you know, Steven said, if you can find compelling evidence in the text that the black Knights are not neglected, I'm all here for it. That's my take on it. And so following off of that, I think here we are seeing that same acknowledgement in the same way that Ogie in code Geass is like, I don't know if Lelouch has our best interests at heart. We now have one of the earthian characters saying, I don't know if Miarine has our best interests at heart. And, I'm I'm afraid. That is a very pessimistic thing to me that, that the Earthians are not going to be centered. I think there is evidence at this point that I could hope for a better outcome than there was in Code Geass, but it's a concern I have. Yeah, I have similar concerns. Um, not as pessimistic as you. I have more hope, I think. For now, for now, I'm glad. I also was very happy that they got to vent their frustrations. But I also felt like what happened in episode 8 was also very intentional, at least from my perspective, because it's just like, I don't know. I've been in places where, you know, as somebody who is not white either, who um have been in places with more privileged people and how, like, I'll try to say something about, like, let's say we're talking about politics and it's, you know, because I'm Latino, they'll be talking about Latin American politics and I'll try to say something and they completely skirt around me and continue to talk like I've never said anything and i was like 
you're talking about Latin American politics and I'm Lat the only Latin American person in the room. What? <laughs> when you ignored me? That's weird. Um, so it, it felt like that, and I felt like that was uh, true to experience, but intentional. And I'm glad that they gave this space this time, because if they didn't this time, I definitely would have been like more Murr, about it. But, you know, there, there's always more time for them to screw that up, too. And I'm, I'm also worried. But I hold my hesitations less every episode. But also this means they're going to fumble the bag more if they do, and it's going to hurt way more. Like I've continuously said. Yeah, you both brought up good points. I was thinking about Ogi 2 PMC. The one thing I think this has sh- this show has in its favor, if you have to share that same reading, is that if there is a Lelouch character in the show, which is a very hot take, I suppose, that character is not centered. But I still think Suleta is the heart of the show, and I also don't think you can track that Miarine tracks completely as a parallel with Lelouch. So it's it has that going in its favor if you share those concerns. Right. If you had a Lelouch character, it would be the character who wears the mask, right? It would be Prospera. Yeah. I would I would also not be opposed to that show, though, because uh, <laughs> Prospera has really good stage presence. Prospera of the Rebellion. I, I love everybody's tweets about Prospera. Like, every time somebody, like, tweets a picture of her and it says something incomprehensible, I'm like, you guys keep you keep it up. Keep it up. I'm proud of you. I love her shit-eating grin. It's Marvelously so animated. And, and you can't see her eyes, but you know it's a shit-eating grin. Like, <laughs> usually shit-eating grins are not just the smile. It's also told by the eyes, but you you know. There's something wrong. There's something, there's something seriously fucked up behind that mask, and it's just... I want to see that face. One We've been trained well by all the Mask Gundam characters, right? Because that was also a thing that Shar was very good at as well. Yeah, thankfully at least that motif carries over and it's carried over well. It's a good Char mask. It's a good Char clone mask, I would say. Yeah, another one of Witcher Mercury's strengths is how it uses the motifs of Gundam in interesting ways. It's not your bog-standard applications, which I appreciate. Not that I've seen every Gundam AU show, but there's definitely some boring-ass examples of the mask character, a.k.a., you know what I'm about to say, Zex Marquise. I'm sorry, all you Zex fans. (laughs) There are things I that are cool about Zex. The mask isn't one of them. Yeah. I was not a Zex fan either, even though I really liked Wing as a kid. That was my first Gundam, and that's what threw me into this this massive love of checks notes, 15 years of hell on earth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, I always liked Duo way more. I couldn't get attached to Zex. It was destiny that the Shark clone I would get attached to was just not a Shark clone at all, and actually just Char. So. You know who I love me some? Trey's. I'm not even joking either. I talk about stage presence. Fucking Trey's Kushranada. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> he's perfect. <laughs> Shoutouts to David K. Yeah. If you're listening, I've interacted with him once or twice on Twitter before. While fine-tuning the prosthetic legs during the shoot, Suleta and Belmaria have a conversation. Most of their conversation is inconsequential until Belmaria is about to tell her something more personal, but is cut short when Suleta realizes she's late for another meeting. Did either one of you have any hot takes about where the conversation could have gone? I want to believe that Belle is good. Yeah. That she she's pursuing things with the best of her heart, regardless of whether uh, where Pale may want to take it. I want I want her to be good so bad. That's my that's my only take. I'm begging on my hands and knees. If they turn if she turns on those poor kids, I am going to cry. Hands down. Uh, it, it'll be over for me. Emotionally, anyway. 
Bell looks so fatigued, and to me, she has all the hallmarks of a character that is going to sacrifice herself for these children, literally. She has the the dead anime mom haircut. Yeah. Yeah. No. (laughs) I just realized this now. No. So, I like her, too. I like her, too, because she's someone who, you know, had this path that they were excited about. Like, the one she talks about... Gundam as metal technology is when she is at her most animated and that she is able to return to that now because of these kids is just is just great. It's it's one of those you can still be cool at any age kind of moments that I think are always great to share. And mm. I I'm glad she's having that, but I'm also like certain that she is absolutely gonna beef it soon. I'm scared. I, I'm I'm knocking on wood. I've got so much wood furniture. It's time Speaking. to knock on it constantly every day. Speaking of being scared, do we have an age on her, or is this a Ramba Rouse situation? Is she in her early thirties? I'm assuming she's middle aged, because she was she was around during the prologue, wasn't she? Something yes. like that. She was a member she... of Vanadius. Yeah. So I'm assuming she's age. probably in her forties, because I'm assuming let, let's assume her and Prospera are the same age. So let's assume traumatized late forties. Yeah, who knows how long Lady Prospera's been alive, though. A Palpatine That's situation, true. just like sapping the energy is. from those kids. Getting her little, like, getting her Werner Hartzogs to grab some Baby Yodas for, like, energy juice. <laughs> the Gundam incident, like, when they started getting rid of them, was, like, tw- supposedly, per what was said, like, 21 years ago, right? Right. Supposedly. I think that's... That's probably our safest timeline bet. I trust Bell more than I trust anyone else. I certainly trust Bell more than I trust Prospera. Oh, absolutely. I believe she she her eyes are too gentle. There's there is very little ill intention in that woman's heart, which is and she's got the de- dying anime mom haircut, which means I don't she's going to kick the bucket. I'm scared. She is a very disposable <laughs> character. She's one of those cog in the machine characters that uh, it's important for Gundam to kill off to land its commentary. As, as sad as that sounds. On the way there, she runs into Alan, who tells her that he'll be returning to school and that she looks cute. By the way, Alan just appears from the woods. I'll have more to say <laughs> about that Very normal in a guy behavior. Very, very normal behavior. Just like the, 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 the eyes down here, the eyes aren't <laughs> visible, and it's just, you see the grin, and you're like, hmm. I wonder who I should, he's trying to emulate here. I should say, this is Alan 5, for those of you keeping score at home. And this Alan is much more upfront with his desires. He asks Zulette on a date. He tells her bluntly, quote, you're being used as a shield so Meereen can avoid getting married. You two may end up married in name, but her heart won't be in it, end quote. He then, fortunately, moves in for a kiss, but fortunately is pushed off by Suleta, who then runs off. I gotta say, as a father, if there's one thing I will impart to my daughter, and hopefully it's many things, it's this. Don't trust people who randomly emerge from the woods, even if you know them. Never good vibes. I want to put that, like, etch that, like stitch that into a throw pillow. I want Elon super dead. I want him super dead. I made a joke about, like, you know, there's characters that deserve gnarly deaths. I want him, like, in a mobile suit, getting roasted by a beam saber, like, going right through the cockpit. So he's, like, roasted like an elote, like elante. (laughs) If there's only one Elon that you could see killed, though, Maddie, which one would it be? You got Master Elon and Elon 5. Oh, God. I, ultimately, and the guy at the root of the problem. Elon yeah. 5, because they both have similar wicked personalities. <laughs> Do you notice the earring change between the two Elons, correct? 
I I noticed that because um, our initial Ilan, Ilan 4, I'm assuming he was 4, he has these gentle white tassels with a purple bauble. Um, real Ilan, of course, does not wear any. And Ilan 5 has these ivory statement cones that have like a gold cap on the top. It's, uh, they're personalities. I think that's what it symbolizes. Something more delicate and breakable versus something more poignant and uh, sharp. And, of course, more wicked if we were going to take the uh, the elephant's ivory into something more literal here. Yeah, I definitely... For some reason, I, was I, just, have a, I have a... Go on, PMC. I said a, sh- a shitty joke. Go on. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, what I was going to say is that the... Uh, I definitely think we want to we wanna kill the master because I, I assume all of the duplicate Alans will suffer from... Well, it's unclear why they suffer from some sort of expiration day. We knew Elan 4 had some kind of pressing issue. I don't know if it was just in regards to how many times they can pilot the Gundam. I think that's what it was, but... Well, that's what it uh, is. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, well, I'm curious, though, because, you know, I, look, I'll, I'll take out the one that can live longer. Uh, <laughs> but the other thing I would say, too, is that if we're going to have all these Elan clones running, or, running around, I almost wonder if we're going to get into some bit. Like, I am waiting for a moment where we see multiple of somebody in the same room. Like, I mm. feel like that's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be Alan or if it's going to be Suleta. Family reunion. <laughs> Someone on Twitter brought up a good point, though. Um, so technically, not to correct PMC here, but clone might not be the best word because mm-hmm. it's like face changes. So someone brought up, like, who's... You already introduced this. Who's that going to happen to? Who's going? Who do we know that's going to become an Elan? Maybe it's Belmaria. It could be anyone. Yeah, because it's like, why did you? Let, let's pull back into when they have the meeting room with Elon Prime, real Elon, Elon Prime, whatever people call him. They're like, oh, why did you select that one? This is assuming that they didn't just make one from scratch and throw him out into the world. This was clearly, you know, like a person with their own identity at some point. That's what it sounds like to me, at least. So it's, and then they said, oh yeah, he's just as wicked as you are, you know? I am, I am so worried. I am so, so, so deeply worried by this. This is, this is definitely, like, cyber new types with extra steps. Plastic mm. surgery being that extra step. My shitty joke was just imagining someone in a Bostonian accent saying wicked. And then, <laughs> then it got me thinking about what the dub for Witcher Mercury is going to look like. Which I'll watch. I think I'll watch the dub if it, um, like, theoretically, it's not going to happen. But let's say, let's say Core Two drops on schedule middle of April. Again, I know this isn't going to happen, but let's say Core One G Witch dub drops on Netflix March. I'll totally rewatch it. I might rewatch it anyway just to prep myself for the continuation of this podcast later next year. Sorry, this happens every time I have a podcast record. I'm like, where am I? Where am I in my notes? I got like an AC casino here. Master Alon, the first Alon, conferences with the pale executives. They tell him that this latest enhanced person was chosen because their personality is as wicked as his. As has been mentioned, I wonder how many Alons we'll meet before the end of the show. Will we get Alon 25? Or maybe an Alon with a really unusual personality. Prime number. I firmly believe prime number. Something's telling me. That's a good call. Math major in me. Prime number. <laughs> On her way back, Suleta spots two adult men in Miorin's greenhouse. Upset, she runs inside and attempts to push them out. Just then, Miorin appears. She was in the back. Turns out, she bought that spaceship 
which cut her travel time and allowed her to get back to Ostacasia sooner. She hired those men to take care of her plants. Rightly so, Suleta feels betrayed. All right, so I have a lot to say about this scene because a lot of takes are flying on Twitter. I don't think I have a contrary take, but I, have, I think I have a tempered take. I don't think she's cognizant of the transformation, but Miarine, I think, is becoming more like her father. Very clinical, and she was already pretty aloof to begin with, and laser-focused on her career. I wonder what the splash of cold water will be that will make her realize the error of her ways. Like, maybe it's a physical separation. Time apart, if you believe the cliche to be true, makes the heart grow fonder after all. I've seen a lot of people push back against this read online, arguing that Miarine is acting with established bounds, within established bounds, that this is her love language, that she's trying to give Suleta the freedom to pursue her own interest, which I don't completely disagree with, but this definitely represents a change of priorities for her. This isn't business as usual. Previously, she set up boundaries restricting access to her greenhouse, boundaries which her peers respected. So in some way, she had to communicate that to them, her intentions to her peers. Her allowing Suleta entry was an emotional risk on her part. Her suddenly allowing other people access represents another priority change, from the personal to the practical, from the emotional to the material. This is further emphasized by the fact that Miarine has hired farm workers to take care of her plants, and that was a very physical connection between Miarine and her mother. So clearly, Miarine has undergone some change in the time that she was away. Like, her priorities now lie elsewhere. I also think she's feeding off the quasi-positive energy she's getting from her dad. Like, I don't think she's trying intentionally to hurt Suleta. A lot of people are pushing back against the read that Suleta is trying to be malicious here. I don't think that's the case, but it certainly doesn't make it less painful. And I also think this character change is in conversation with the House Earth scene from earlier. Oh yeah, something's definitely changed here. I don't agree that she's being more clinical. I believe that she's finally, like, loosening up. Because if there was one thing in contrast from when you first see her to now, and even just a couple episodes ago, she's very, Miorine specifically, is very tense. She's very uptight. Like, you know, she's uptight in the, the very physical sense. Like, imagine just like how I'm doing here, grabbing my shoulders and squeezing them really tight with your arms crossed. Like, that's the level of tension that I got from her. And now, especially with the tone of voice, just that alone, like, even if none of the events happened, the way the, her tone of voice just changes a little... She's loosening up a little bit because like I mean, even she's trusting the Earthians a little bit more than she was before, even though she really hasn't given a reason for them to trust her in return really yet. I think she's loosening up around them herself and that in turn is her boundaries are loosening her. I feel like she wasn't aware that her boundaries were six inches thick or maybe she was in some parts, but at the same time, I don't think she was. It's give and take here, but I think that this was two love languages or friendship languages let's just use the term love language just because it's easier clashing and i think suleta is just the very much the kind of person that needs to be relied upon and this is also this is going to be me bringing up my belief that suleta is autistic autistic people for the most part including myself we mostly see things in absolutes and if we're going to see things not in absolutes we have to turn on manual. It is a bit more of an effort for me to see things not in absolutes at first than it is to be like, this is mostly black and white. This is what's happening. And that's why Suleta is suddenly like, oh, like, oh, and when Mirine said, oh, I'm going to take less of this uh, this burden off you a little bit. Mirine, or not Mirene, 
excuse me, when Miorine says that she wants to remove some of this burden from Suleta, Suleta reads this as, you are casting me out. And it's not a malicious thing. It is this, you don't need to do some of these things. To Suleta, this means you don't need to do anything and I don't need you anymore. So it's that kind of read, whether it's intentional or not. It's just how the two of them communicate from one wanting to be relied upon and then the other wanting to relieve the burden off someone else. Plus the communication issue. This is where we have our problem. This is where we have our cracks in this relationship. That's how I read it. I guess more, more from my autistic point of view anyway. Yeah, I I think if I, would, if I were to express that, maybe like another way too, another way to sort of read the uh, the mismatch here in terms of communication is also that you know you have you have two young people who are discovering things that they are like getting into. When you're a teenager, like you just like change like the seasons, and you're discovering things that you're suddenly interested in. And I think Miriam is having one of those moments, a moment of sort of expeditious change. She's getting to this business thing. She bought a spaceship. She went on TV. She's doing all this stuff and she's in charge. And, and, you know, I think she's discovering things about herself in the process, right? And it's causing her boundaries to change, you know, as, as Maddie mentioned. One of the things that I think can be difficult about that, too, is when you're changing, is also to understand um, the sort of like needs and wants of the people that you work with or the, the people that you have relationships with. Uh, you know, they aren't going to be necessarily communicating on the same terms. Uh, so, you know, and, and this is this I, I, this criticism, I want to be clear, you could apply to either Miriam and Soleta, but you want to understand that the, that the inputs and outputs that you expect for yourself personally are not the inputs and outputs that the other party is going to expect or want. You know, like if, if you're going around saying like, well, you know, you, you don't have to do this thing for me anymore. It's, it's a chore. But like the thing you understand is, of course, that that person highly values being relied upon, right? As we've already said. Uh, so being sensitive to the fact that other people are going to be more or less eager to do different things than you. This is also like an important thing in like group dynamics, like in working with people and stuff. Like if you're trying to work with people in a professional or like casual setting, you need to understand that like certain tasks are going to be more eagerly sought after by certain people. Totally. Oh, absolutely. I would like a, a smidgen more like of interiority from Murine, um as we go further, because I have a lot, I'm very curious what's going through her mind. And I would really like, and like a scene where maybe it's a monologue, maybe it's her reminiscing something a little bit more substantial with her characterization. Cause I don't want to come across as a Murine hater. I just want to know a little bit more about her coming close to the end of the episode, Miorine tells Suleta that she's brought on Alon as another test pilot. She's planning on picking the aerial up at Plant Quetta, where the hit on Delling is scheduled to happen. What do you make of that bit right before the credits, though, where where Delling walks into Quetta and Prospera is like, hey, buddy, how's it going? I'm so scared. That made me jump in my seat. Even considering my, my broken foot being propped up, I was like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I love these team-ups. I'm very curious how this all, this powder keg explodes. Are, are these team-ups, or do we have multiple independent plots to kill Delling? True. It could be that. Makes me scared, once again. I, I the, the thing is, like, I this, this was the exact scenario I was tossing up in my head. Like, who was going to team up with who, if at all? What's going to happen? This is going to be a big, 
huge mess. Yeah, because that's the thing, right? When I think of like exciting uh, Okuchi finales, and this is a positive, this is a good thing I'm bringing up. You know, I think of when you all the threads come together and you get weird payoffs. You know, you get uh, Nina has a bomb. What? <laughs> you know, in the middle of the assault on on Tokyo or something like that, right? You're gonna have something. Somebody's gonna show up with a bomb with a grenade in their hand and no one's going to expect it while you know while the assassination plot is going on yeah i'm curious how this the episode 10 will or episode 11 will upend my expectations i don't really know what expectations i have going forward you have one it's a christmas classic that's your expectation right (laughs) hope you hopefully this will be christmas themed as uh, many classic gundam shows are Oh, I hope it's not as painful as our favorite Christmas-themed one. I'm praying, but I don't think that prayer is going to come to fruition. That prayer won't be answered, I bet. Maddie, I'm assuming you're referring to War in the Pocket and not Endless Waltz. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, I'm thinking about War in the Pocket. <laughs> I, yeah, absolutely. I, I have actually just convinced a friend of mine to watch that for their very first time. Oh, nice. And this is their first Gundam show. They're like, oh, I'm there because they're watching. Well, it's not the first. It's going to be their second because they're watching G-Witch right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they were like, how do I get started on the main timeline? I'm like, since it's Christmas. <laughs> it's a good entry point. It is a great entry point, but it's also very evil. To- it's always the stereotypical evil one to recommend to a friend. Yeah. It's short, sweet, to the point, very compelling, but it hurts. Huge gut punch. That. Yeah, this person is not expecting this. I am like, I was just like, it's Christmas themed. You have to watch it. Like, really hyping them up. Yeah, star as a kid. Nothing about hamburgers. I was, I was just. I don't even want them suspecting anything. I'm ready for them to come back in my messages in a few weeks from now, going like, "Why the hell did you recommend this to me?" And I'm like, (laughs) "He." (laughs) Do you have a go-to hamburger chain in your neck of the woods, Maddie? I mean, I live in Texas, so chain-wise, Whataburger, but I actually typically don't go to chains all that often. There's, like, a bunch of, like, little, like, holes in the wall that I go to. Awesome. Like, I live in Houston, so it's, like, I go to this little place called Langford's Grocery. There's, like, this weird, like, waffle, like, chicken and waffle, like, food truck that turned into, like, a brick and mortar that still has the food truck. It's, like, a chicken and waffle, like, burger. There's a bunch of, like, local, like, smash burger places. Not the chain smash burger, but, like, actual smash burgers like there's one mm-hmm. right around the corner for me that's really good um i just mostly go to a lot of weird little holes in the wall and honestly there's a lot of good taquerias that have like really good like mexican burgers that they use fajita meat like Ooh. all ground up for oh it's so good <laughs> and they're only five bucks every time and they're huge Hell they're yeah. size of my head now we have a post credit scene. I didn't realize this at first. So the first time around, we hit the credits. I'm like, ah, done my notes. Off. <sighs> and then I rewatched. Cool. Like, oh, I noticed shit. the credits were airing really early. I'm like, there's something wrong here. Why is it not exactly, you know, a minute and 45 seconds from the end? There's something off. There's something that's, wrong with the sauce. That's why I got excited. I was like, ah, I can rest my fingers. Excellent. I could turn off my mind now. But no, PMC, why don't you tell us what happened in this post credit scene? So in the post credit scene, uh, we catch up with uh, with uh, Bob's and Doug Nut with Bob the Builder, Ghoul, <laughs> and he is uh, on. So the the I think the ship that they were working on the exterior of in the previous school scene, uh, they are now in that ship. That ship is in travel, and uh, Bob brings up food to his colleagues, and and his, his boss is like, "Yeah, make sure you eat too." So you get a sense like you know they're sort of 
he's living his life, right? He's making the best of, a, of, of his situation. And then suddenly those shadowy mobile suits that showed up since episode seven of the OP are here and they are piloted by uh, Rosea and Norea and Ro- Sophie. Got to get these names. So yeah, there you go. So, yeah, exactly. No, you got it. Um, and so they, they show up in mobile suits and they pretty much hold them up. And I don't think they announce what they want. I think they just sort of uh, they leave us hanging from there. But I'm, I, my assumption, again, was that they were going to sneak into Quetta. Yeah. And they were just like, the ship's now under control by the dawn of Fold. Oh, yeah. You either re- he's like, you either do what we say or you die, basically. Cutscene. Cutscene, yeah. That was good. Delicious. I love how uh, Bob is our damsel in distress. That's my favorite. <laughs> Classic Bob. Perfect. <laughs> uh, I hope his like his plight becomes known to you know to Saleta, and then Saleta has to rescue him. Praying mm. on the hands and knees. Praying, for yeah. This. Please give Please. me. Because like, not even in a shipping lens. Because no, but in in a sense of that it's comedic. I think it would be so funny. I want this dynamic turned on his head because Ghoul views like. Similar to Sionji from Revolutionary Girl Lutena. Um, he views women, especially Miurine, like as a possession. Like, very much objectifies them in that sense. Not so much in like that sense, but more of like a very literal like objectification here. So it would be nice for that to be completely flipped on his head. I want him to be humbled even more. Please? Any predictions on who might kick it next episode? Maybe Bell, but I hope that's later. Some I, pe- I, I see a lot of chatter about uh, bo- our our dear Bob potentially dying this early. I on. don't want him to die, but that was also my second one. That was my second guess. I know there's a lot of people that I've seen that are betting that Lauda's gonna die at some point. His brother. Yeah, I kind of feel like the whole uh, the whole uh, dueling lounge group. Uh, they feel expendable to me, and like it's gonna be a rude awakening for the internet if Cecilia gets butchered. I don't want to say it. Not because I don't like her, but for a compelling plot point, I kind of hope she gets, she gets, she gets kicked. Hope she does. Hope she kicks the bucket. Unfortunately, there, some... I think Alan is gonna die though. There's no way. One mm. of them is. One of them is gonna like die, die, get like butchered, butchered. Not like nerfed into oblivion. Whatever the hell happened to him. House Earth has targets on their head too. A few of them are gonna like Martin with that haircut. Sorry, Martin. No, I like him too much. I, I loved that at the very beginning when Aaliyah was checking um, Martin's books, being like, oh, you messed up here. And he's like, oh, I was doing last month's booking <laughs> instead of this month's. As an accountant, that made me smile. I'm sorry. That was very warm for me. <laughs> as long as Lalique lives, I'll be happy. Oh, I like if she most dies, Earth, I think though. the internet would explode. Both Western and Japanese internet will most yeah. set, certainly have like an angry field day. Not like a happy field day. A field day full of rage and agony. We will have a funeral. So basically it's your average day on Twitter. On Twitter.com. In its current dying state. Oh, <laughs> yeah. This is water, not whiskey. My foot's broken still. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, any final thoughts? I know we just touched upon predictions for the next episode. Maddie, any any thoughts going forward? We have two episodes left of Core One. Yeah, it is. It's two more? Two more episodes? 
Gosh, I, I honestly I feel like the the plant Keta arc is most certainly going to end things. I don't think there's going to be anything after that. It'll leave on at least either at a nice conclusion or cliffhang us in some capacity. I think it's going to do the cliffhang. It'll probably do both being like, oh yeah, whatever happens at Plant Keta happens, but then something, and then we'll go from there. It's going to be somebody holding somebody else at gunpoint. It's going to be like Suleta Beretta has her mother at gunpoint because she learned the truth or something. A little loose Suzaku action there, PMC. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm. Th- no, that's exactly what I'm thinking of. I'm exactly thinking of that that uh, that season one cliffhanger of Code Geass. Awesome, PMC. Any any uh, other final thoughts? Not to. <laughs> I gotta wait two weeks. What's up with this? It's been so long since I followed a show week to week, and now I have to wait two weeks. I I'm, I run contrary to the rest of Gundam Twitter. Possess a Gundam podcaster. I'm like, yes, I could not take notes on Sunday. Excellent. <laughs> no, it's true. As, know, I mean, as podcasters, we get to take a little a little week off. Yeah, I guess that cues up discussions about our schedule. But before that, Maddie, promote yourself. You're an excellent follow on Twitter. I am just a humble poster. Like I always <laughs> say, you can find me on Twitter at hyakushiki0087. That's mostly where I live. You can find me infrequently on co-host if twitter dies i don't think it's going to i honestly think it's going to get bought up by some other tech mogul i don't think it's going to completely go kaput at this point but yeah i just post things on twitter my gundam hot takes and i just shoot shit with my friends i would i enjoy talking gundam and metal gear with people and anything else seriously just hit me up i want to talk hell yeah all right pmc give the good people plugs yeah, so if you're listening to this, you're listening to one of our patron-exclusive Radio Free Mercury episodes where we are covering The Witch for Mercury week to week. If you are supporting us, thank you so much for doing so. Uh, be sure to get into the patron-exclusive Discord uh, and you know, and, and check out some of the other stuff that we're doing. Over on the main feed right now, we are in the middle of coverage of The Big O, uh, which is doing season one of The Big O. been having a ton of fun with that. Uh, been really a joy to return to that. So please do go check that out as well. Uh, you know, I can I can tease that going into next year we're gonna you know do some some sort of victory lap stuff. But I also mentioned that you know we have some other things on the on the horizon like G Savior, of course, uh, very important, and other things as well. So look forward to that as well. I, I have to I'm gonna be teasing that like that forever. So my apologies to Steve in advance for having to hear me do this spiel over and over again. If you want to support us directly, uh, you can write nice things about us, about our main feed on Spotify, iTunes, your podcatcher of choice. Uh, if you're listening to us via Patreon, obviously you're already supporting us. If you're interested in Mecha video games, we have a podcast that we do called Simulator, which is at the uh, premium level of the $10 tier. That's where we give Mecha video games the same treatment that we give to Mecha anime. We've done... Currently, there are four of those episodes out. There are two on the uh, first three Armored Core games, one of them on Zardion, and one of them on the production history of the first Front Mission game. Right now, uh, I can tell you that the first Armored Core episode is free on the main feed. You can find that full episode on the main feed, so check that out if that's of interest to you. Listen to that. Um, you know, Use it to get hype for the Armored Core Project Phantasma run that I'm going to do at AGDQ 2023. Consider that. I will say that our next simulator episode will be a follow-up to that Front Mission History episode. That will be uh, about about the production history of the remake by Forever Entertainment, as well as our thoughts about playing that remake, uh, which I'm certainly looking forward to discussing with Steven. Uh, I am currently done the OCU campaign, and I'm partway through the UCS campaign. 
the UCS campaign is so much better, uh, but we'll get to that then when we talk about it in that simulator episode. I want to give credit to Dwarf S for the graphics that we use and credit to Fretzel, hashtag ban Fretzel for the music that we use. Shit, I don't have a funny ending thing. PMC or Maddie, do you have like a funny any a funny ending line as my voice is about to leave my body? Bob's the builder. Can he fix it? Bob's the builder. No, he can't.